Good morning, everyone. Uh, thank you so much for joining us uh, for another episode of Act Love Walk. Today, we had the privilege of interviewing the Bishop of the Great Plain UMC, Bishop Ruben Science. And today, he talks about his call to ministry, how the process of being elected as a bishop is like, and the importance of youth in the church today. So uh, stay tuned and listen to this amazing interview with it. Thank you. Welcome back to Act, Love, Walk. Um, my name is Carly, and today we are so blessed to be joined by Bishop Ruben Science Jr. And so I'll go ahead and have everybody go through and introduce themselves. I'm Abby Kowetch. I'm Sam Redfern. And I'm Ruben Science Jr. Yeah, so thanks for joining us today, Bishop. It's a pleasure. Thank you for having me. So um, our first question today, uh, we kind of want to know, what was your earliest memory of being called to ministry? My earliest memory of being called to ministry was when I was a delegate at our 1990 annual conference. Uh, I was a Christian. I was serving in the local church in many capacities. Um, as a youth pastor, uh, I was leading a fellowship of Christian athletes group in high school. I had small group Bible studies at the house. I was involved in the administration of the church and a lot of other things, but and I, my wife and I had our own business. And so I was, uh, I was trying to exemplify Christ through my work and my vocation and, and, but, being a pastor was never, uh, you know, something I, I, I had thought about until I went to an annual conference and a, um, a church leader passed away during the annual conference. And there was a lot of, um, he preached. And then after he preached, he apparently he came down off of the pulpit, had a heart attack and died. And I got there at 1.30 in the afternoon and this had happened right before, uh, an hour and a half before I got to annual conference. I got there a little bit late because I had to work. And there was such a somber mood throughout the rest of the conference. And I kept, you know, I, I did not know who the man was. Uh, but apparently he was a, a very uh, well-loved pastor in our conference. And the conference proceeded. And at the very end, at the close of the co uh, conference session, we had a worship service. And I was at the very back of the sanctuary. And another pastor walked up to the front of the sanctuary and said, the fields are ripe for the harvest, but the laborers are few. Pray that the Lord send laborers into the fields. And he said it in Spanish. And I just felt the God called me to ministry, like, okay, you're needed now. And, um, and so after that, I, I really wrestled with a call for another three years before I, I finally, you know, um, 
went into the, uh, the, the, the process of entering into the ordained ministry. So that was my earliest call. I, I guess I was 30 years old when, when I had that experience. So you said you were at um, an annual conference. Yes, of all places, happened. an annual conference. That's where I got a call. From <laughs> <laughs> you um, think the annual conference are all about business and making decisions and passing budgets and, you know, debates on the floor. But obviously, you know, that that's where, you know, the Lord called me to ministry at, at, when I was a lay member to the annual conference. Comes at the strangest times. <laughs> when you least expect it. So have you always been a part of the United Methodist Church or were you a part of a different church before? No, you I have. I've always been a part of the United Methodist Church. Uh, my parents, uh, they uh, they got married and, and dad was, uh, dad and mom decided to, to visit churches and they visited a Methodist church. And my mom was already uh, United, well, my mom was already Methodist back in 60, wasn't United Methodist. So they visit a church on Sunday and the pastor visited them that afternoon and, you know, they just made up their mind right there and then. And uh, they have been members at, at uh, First United Methodist Church in River City now since 1960. And that's where I was, you know, raised and, and formed and shaped in the faith. And it was a, it was a, uh, uh, a diversified congregation, actually. Uh, so... It was not homogenous. It was probably half Anglo and, and half Hispanic. Mostly English speaking. We had an English speaking service, which we attended, and then there was a Spanish speaking service. But, you know, through the passing, we just, everybody just got together. It was just one church. So I think that was a very unusual experience in thinking back on it, because I don't think that that was a norm for, for most of our Methodist churches, you know, even even today, I mean, most of our churches are homogenous to this point, to a large extent. Um, but I grew up with a, uh, a, a bicultural, you know, church experience. Which That's helps. so cool. Yeah. Yeah. So something um, that we have asked almost all of our guests pretty consistently on this podcast is how do you see faith and justice intersecting in your life? Well, for me, faith is about, you know, our, our own personal beliefs and our, our quote, you know, our position in Christ, right? I mean, because okay. it, it, it is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. But also, faith is about um, moving into God's future. And... Um, and the future of God is a, is a future, it's, it's a peaceable kingdom where uh, there is equality and there is a place for everyone. There is uh, the treatment of humans as, as, uh, as beloved children of God and persons of sacred worth, um, persons of dignity, not persons that are second class or third class citizens, regardless of their socioeconomic standing. And so it's, it's that vision of faith that we are moving toward. It's that, it's, that, it's that belief in that kingdom to come so that things are on earth as they are in heaven, so to speak, that 
keep us moving forward with with that expectation that, that we're moving towards that end. And when there is a discrepancy or a disconnect between the reality that we experience and the vision of God in Christ, uh, then you're you're awakened with a sense of of making things right, of reconciling things to to help move that to help actualize that vision. Although we don't actualize it ourselves, but it's that sense that things are are out of kilter here in this respect. And then the question is, what is my responsibility? What is my call to help make this world a just world and to help make this world a, a peaceable world? And so faith is, is more than just my own personal relationship with God per se, but faith is trusting that vision that Jesus Christ proclaimed, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, the kingdom of God is at hand. So um, it's here, uh, but it's yet to be fulfilled. And so whenever there is, you know, um, people that are that are treated inhumanely or um, or without dignity, then there is a call to act, to, to see what's happening, to make judgments about what is happening and what could happen and the cause of what is happening, and then to act upon it as a disciple of Jesus Christ, according to the sphere of influence that we have. Yeah, and I love how you um, bring up, you know, looking towards God's future, because something we've been talking a lot about is in Isaiah 65, where they kind of lay out the plans for the new creation, which kind of goes hand in hand with that. So transitioning a little bit here, um, we wanted to find out how you became a bishop, what that process was like for you, and how you ended up in the Great Plains Conference. How I became a bishop? It well, I was elected a bishop, so that's that's how I became a bishop. But the process was probably began back in 1997, maybe, um, when I was serving my first church. I had a parishioner, and and he was a he was a Korean vet. Uh, Arturo Chacon was his name, and one day I was. I'd been at the appointment for about two, three months. And he said to me, he said, hey, so, uh, you know, I've been a member of this church back since, you know, since the 40s. And I've seen pastors come and go. He said, but you're different. He goes, I don't know, you know, all about all the structure of the, of the Methodist church, but I, I, you're not going to be here long. And I see you one day, you know, leading leading the church. Uh, and he said, well, by the way, what, what are the different positions within the church. I said, well, there's, you know, deacon, uh, um, there's a a local, there's a local pastor, then then there's a superintendent uh, and bishops. He said, well, you're going to be a bishop one day. And, you know, a lot of people told me that uh, when I started out ministry. I didn't didn't start out in ministry until I was 36, 35, I think, as an ordained, in the ordained ministry. But right from the beginning, people started saying that to me, and uh, it was it, it was somebody said that 
that discernment is kind of like a drop of water that, that falls on a sponge. One drop is insignificant, you know, 20 drops, you can start CO2 to, to experience a wet spot. A hundred drops, you know, the, the, the sponge is now moist, uh, you know, 500 drops, it's, it's wet. A thousand drops and, you know, you, you, the, the thing is, is, is uh, soaking wet. Uh, and a lot of people over the course of my ministry have, have just laid drops like that. And, and so in 20, 2008, I really started discerning whether or not God was calling me to, to this position. It's, it's something that I did not, you know, seek or even desire. Um, I had people encourage me for the position in 2008. I said, I'm, I don't, I don't feel called to that. Uh, in 2012, you know, I had just started as a congregational developer and I was planting churches and helping churches uh, find vitality in the San Antonio, Austin, you know, uh, South Texas area. But by, by the time 2016 came around, I had a lot of people just ask me if I would consider to do that. And I, I said, sure, I, you know, I will offer myself one time, but I'm not going to make any extra effort, you know, to be elected or, or to process. And so my, I told my wife, I said, if I get um, nominated by my conference, I will not decline the nomination, but I'm not going to call and ask to be nominated. I'm just going to let, let it happen naturally. And my annual conference nominated me as a, as a candidate, as their candidate for, for the um, episcopacy. Uh, and then they endorsed me. And I was off visiting with the delegations all throughout um, the, the 2016, um, the, the beginning of 2016. So I visited with 10 delegations. And they asked me all kinds of questions about leadership, about issues in the church, about, uh, you know, how, how you would handle situations and, and so on and so forth. So, so while I was discerning whether I wanted to be elected, other people were also discerning whether I had the gifts and graces for ministry myself. And of course, in 2016, we went on to Portland. And then after uh, Portland, it was at that point that I was really concerned that I would be elected. <laughs> and so I, I just saw what was ahead for the church. And I, and I really had to ask myself if I wanted to step into the fray or not, because I just saw some very difficult days ahead uh, for the church. And, you know, and, and I, don't, I don't think anyone ever feels that, that, they, that they can do this job. If you, if, you do feel, if you do believe that you can do it, you, you know, you probably need to check again. But, uh, you know, my, my spouse is incredibly encouraging. And I had conversation even with people from the Great Plains Conference at, at that annual at that general conference in Portland. And I decided to, to stay in and not withdraw. And I was elected in July. And then after we do get elected, then there's a conversation around where your gifts and graces would best be, uh, uh, could, could best be used and are needed. And uh, I was um, I was discerned to to be sent to the Great Plains Conference, and so here we are. And I've been here since 2016, so I'm now finishing up my fourth year. So, it you know, for me it was a 20 year process, I guess, and it really started intensifying in 2008, 2012, but it wasn't something that I got up one day and said I'm going to be a bishop. It it was 
to the encouragement of friends and people I pastored and uh, through my family and uh, and just through prayer and yeah, because you never want to be outside of the zone of God's grace. You you want to be in the center of God's will for our lives. And I just want to make sure that if I was going to step into this, that I was really listening to the direction of God's spirit at work in my life. And and it wasn't because of some, you know, um, self-centered desire to do this. So, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting to hear how you sort of fell into the episcopacy. Um, you know, as the uh, as we're kind of looking forward to jurisdictional conference, something that I know um, the delegation has been talking about is like how the episcopacy, uh, the, the role of the episcopacy is, is changing. Um, with having, you know, more, um, more backgrounds represented um, and, and bishops that maybe don't all come from the same place or all look the same in our jurisdiction. So I'm curious to hear from you what you feel like the role of the bishop is and how you've kind of, you know, determined that for yourself and how you've kind of fit your your own leadership style into that mm-hmm. well the book of discipline outline outlines the responsibilities and duties of a bishop right and so i mean they're they're all there um but that is you know to lead and oversee the spiritual and temporal temporal affairs of the methodist church to lead the church in its mission and witness, to strengthen local churches, guard, transmit, teach, and proclaim the faith, interpret the faith evangelistically and prophetically, uh, support ecumenical relationships, teach people to uphold the theological traditions, um, preside at annual conference, consecrate bishops, uh, ordain elders, commission deaconesses, elders, uh, fix appointments, and uh, you know select district superintendents to help me with the work so, I mean, these are all duties of, of a bishop. I think um, for me, ultimately, it's about expanding and extending um, our Christian witness throughout the boundaries of our annual conference uh, as effectively and as efficiently as possible. And so we expand and extend that, that uh, witness through acts of uh, proclamation, you know, telling people about Christ through acts of service, um, through acts of mercy, and through acts of justice. Uh, and of course, we help people come to know and love God and and nurture them in the Christian faith so that they can be discipled and then sent back out into the world. One of the, the texts that has really driven my own sense of, of uh, mission and vision is, uh, is taken from Luke chapter 4, where Jesus Christ goes back to Nazareth and, and he, he's at the synagogue. And he, he, he says, the Spirit of God, is upon, the Lord is upon me, is anointed me to preach the good news and, and uh, to um, set, the, set the oppressed free. And, um, and then and, 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 uh, he says, and to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And, and that 
to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord is is a um, is an image that really drives me because what does it mean for people throughout our Great Plains Conference? You know, to begin with, because that's my first area of uh, of appointment for people to say, you know, God God sees me, God hears my cry, and God has drawn near to me through the witness of the United Methodist Church uh, here in my part of the world. And so how, my, my question is, how can, how can people in our communities experience the grace and the goodness, the love, the providence, the protection, the abundance of God in their communities uh, as, as expressed through First, the, the United Methodist Church, because that's who we are. But then secondly, in partnership with our ecumenical brothers and sisters. And then thirdly, in partnership with our community leaders. And so how can we, how can we seek the welfare of the communities where we're planted? Um, and, and for me, that, that's, everything else is about that whether I'm working with clergy or fixing up, you know, it, it, because for me, you know, fixing appointments and sending clergy out to the mission field is probably one of the most strategic things that I do because I'm, I'm trying to send the best possible leadership out to the churches so that they can then work with the churches to make a difference in the world, to bring people to Christ and to send people out in the name of Christ um, to make the world a better place and to help us move towards that vision of that kingdom that Christ talked about. So, you know, uh, transmitting the faith, um, implementing strategies, upholding theological traditions, the evangelistic witness, sending pastors out, all that is, is towards that end. It supports that work. So, so, I mean, I've been a business person and as a business person, the goal of business is to grow your business. Uh, I've been a, a coach and the goal of coaching is to win and, and improve the quality of your players so that you can have the best opportunity to win. And now, is, and I've been a local pastor. And so the idea is you grow the church strong so that you can, you can have more impact in the world. And now as a bishop, you know, I, I, I really, I'm really focused on strengthening the local churches, our clergy leadership, our laity, so that we can grow the kingdom. I think Christ talks a lot about the growth of the kingdom and, uh, and, and the extension and expansion of the mission. And so I, I don't subscribe to the, you know, we're declining and, you know, we're, the church is irrelevant. I think more than ever, the church is more relevant now than ever before. And so my role as a bishop is to help inspire, encourage, support, and provide the tools and resources that people need to carry out that work. And so whatever, whatever people need, I, I, I try to see to it that they have it because the ones at the front line are the clergy and the laity uh, that are, you know, helping people love God, proclaiming Christ, serving others and doing justice. And so with, without, without them, there, there is no church. They are the church. And so I see my role as, as equipping and supporting and encouraging and uh, doing all I can so that more of that can happen. And so that people can experience the favor of the Lord. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. And um, it's great to hear how you're 
past experiences have kind of informed, um, you know, your, I guess, priorities as a bishop or what you're passionate about. Um, kind of shifting gears a little bit, uh, I know myself and Carly, we both worked on the Conference Council on Youth Ministries. And so for myself, I've kind of, um, you know, been seeing things from either a youth perspective or a young adult perspective. And I'm interested to hear from you, like, what you think our, what you think are good things that um, our conference has done with youth ministries or things that we need to improve both with like youth and young adult, because, um, you know, I think especially in the, in the last few years, we've seen a lot of youth involvement. So I'm, I'm curious to hear from you kind of what you, um, what you think our conference is doing well or any, I guess, ideas that you have. Yeah. There's a rule for church planting. And the rule is you attract who you are. And if you want to reach a certain people group, then you have to have them represented in positions of leadership within the life of the church, whether it's in worship uh, or in, you know, in leadership committees, uh, but they need to be highly visible. One of the first things that I did when, when I, when I got to the Great Plains and I, um, I presided at my first annual conference is I told the sessions planning team, I want children and youth uh, involved in, in the annual conference session. Uh, and I want children to sing and I want young people to be very visible upon stage because, because when people see themselves in positions of leadership, then they can, they can be encouraged and inspired themselves to say, hey, look, there's someone that looks like me there. And so, and so I've tried to, be, I, 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 I'm intentional about that. Uh, I have, uh, I have, well, I've had four children that have been young adults and, you know, I brought them to ministry and uh, two of them are, are now pastors, but all four of them are now serving in churches. And I realized how important it was for them to stay connected to the church during those, the 20s to 30s. Uh, a year and of course when when they were young adults I was pastoring and they I focused on on ministries that that um, that were relevant to them and that maximized their giftedness and I and I really did not try to put them in any type of uh, of uh, box so to speak but I just you know, encourage them to um, to design and to and to create ministries that they were passionate about. Uh, and I found that 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 was more uh, fruitful than than trying to to call them into some predetermined structure. Um, so our conference is is very is very intentional about developing leaders. Like for, we we invest in the Micah Core Ministry, 
And, um, and through that ministry, we give young adults an opportunity to be engaged in uh, social justice issues and um, other, other opportunities where the church and the community can, uh, can intersect. Um, I'm concerned that on any given Sunday, there's, there's an absence of young adults in many of our churches. Um, but at the same time, I celebrate that at the conference level, young adults find a place to belong and a place to connect and a place to, to offer their leadership. Um, you know, I, I, uh, I think that, that young adults are a want to engage, but in a way that is making a difference in the world, not necessarily within the life of a, of a local church per se, but young adults have a concern for the planet. They have a concern for um, um, racial equality. They have a concern for gender equality. They have a concern for, um, for they, they, I think they're just more globally minded than, than just, you know, lo locally fixated. And so it's almost, it's almost like the, the research and development branch of the church, the R and D, you, you know, you have to create a, a space within the division for the creatives to, to experiment and to create models and to present ideas and, and fund them and encourage that uh, because they're working on the church of the future and what it could look like um, and give them that space so that, so that they can envision where the church goes from here. So, so young adult ministries is not, it's not something that happens, you know, on a given day at a given time, you know, over a given period or period of time. It's it's more organic, uh, and at the same time, it, you have to create an environment where there can be an ecology for for new things to flourish, and then receive them and integrate them into the the. Uh, the current life of the church with the expectation that they will generate much fruit in the years to come. I, and, you know, and I know that's a very nebulous answer, but, but, you, but young adults are just wired differently and, and try and calling upon young adults to, to do church as it always has been done, I think is, is not, um, it's 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 not maximizing or or coordinating um, that the, the best the best the, the best outcomes that that the church can have if you allow young adults to the freedom to experiment and to dream and to and to work on new things and so. And I don't know, I, I, I hope that our annual conference is providing those types of experience for our young adults, whether it's mission work or whether it's, you know, um, work like microcore that has some guidelines to it. 
uh, and also some outcomes so that it's exciting and you know people can say I want to be a part of that that that's a church I want to I want to belong to that's a church I want to help build so I don't know if I helped or not with that question with that answer but um, I and because I'm not thinking about programs here for young adults it, it, this is this goes way beyond programs I'm thinking about processes that that young adults need to be uh, given an opportunity to to be involved with and in the process uh, will then determine the product that comes out of that yeah I definitely agree and um, that young people um, see are starting to see ministry in a, in a different way and I think for a lot of people it's it's hard to figure out where their call to ministry and their call to action and, and social action intersect. And that's something that we've been talking about in MicroCore um, because that's pretty much what we do is we kind of um, use scripture as a way to inform people about what's going on in the world. And that's, that's interesting that you say that because I, I definitely think that that's where a lot, a lot of young people are at is they maybe don't understand how to um, mix the two together. So yeah, that was the last question that I had. I don't know if anyone else has anything that they want to say, any last thoughts that you might have, feel free. Well, you know, thank you so much for doing this, for, um, for providing opportunities to talk about things that are important to young adults and and also getting kind of you know your 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 markers uh, to to understand what is out there so that then you can do self-reflect and figure out is this something that is helpful or you know can we move beyond that or do we just leave this aside because I, I see what you're doing as a discernment process um, and also exploring ideas and possibilities. So while you're exploring ideas and possibilities with me, I'm sure you're also reflecting on what this means for you and how you go about, you know, your own journey as a disciple of Jesus Christ. And so we're kind of sharpening each other here with by sharing our stories and uh, and eventually you know, you, you will lead your own life and you'll make your own decisions and you will live out your discipleship in a way that is meaningful and purposeful to you in a way that you believe that you are um, carrying forth the ministry of Christ in the world through, you know, through your work within the church or your work out in the world. And so uh, this, is, this is rich and I, I pray that your listening audience will um, we'll continue to listen to your podcast and uh, grow from it and and be benefited by it as as they you know think about what it means to be a, a 21st century Christian in the Western tradition in this in this amazing world that is uh, volatile, chaotic, uh, um, ambiguous and uncertain, you know, but through it all, we we're people of faith. And we know that God is with us. And so 
we, you know, we wake up in the morning trusting that God has called us to this and that if God calls us to this and God will equip us for it. So uh, thank you and uh, keep up the good work. Thanks for, thanks for being on the podcast today, Bishop. It was great to have you. And um, it was just great to hear your insight on all the questions that we had for you. All right, Carly, Sam, and Abby, God bless. Y'all take care. Keep up the good work. Yes, you do. Have a good day. Bye. Thank you for listening to Act, Love, Walk, a podcast produced by the 2020 Great Plains United Methodist Micah Corps interns. We are so grateful for the opportunity to get to share our stories and our ministry in the form of a podcast this year. Well, this is not the summer we envisioned and it's turning out to be an amazing experience. And we want to thank our amazing leaders, Maddie Bogus, Melissa Ross, and Charlie Calaba. We would also want to thank all the Great Plain United Methodists for their continuous financial and spiritual supports and all the organizations that have met with us and those that we will meet during the summer. Without you, this internship would not be possible. You can learn more about MicaCore at greatplainsumc.org slash MicaCore. If you want to keep up with the MicaCore interns, you can follow us on Facebook at MicaCore. Find us on Twitter at core underscore Micah. And on Instagram at MicahCore2020. Should we say bye? Bye! bye. <laughs> <laughs>